This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Momwell Podcast. Today, I'm excited to welcome back New York Times bestselling author Eve Rodsky to the show. Her New York Times bestselling book and Reese's Book Club pick, Fair Play, helps partners rebalance their domestic workload and reimagine their relationship. Today, Eve is joining us to talk about her highly anticipated follow-up book called Find Your Unicorn Space. As we enter into motherhood and we take on all of the invisible and mental labor that comes with that, we often lose parts of ourself and our identity. We don't get to devote time to our passions and we lose out on our hobbies and our creativity. But as we push for and work towards more equality in the home and we reclaim our time and see it as equal to our partners and those in our family, we can start to think beyond our role in motherhood and reclaim parts of ourselves. In this episode, Eve and I talk about how intensive mothering has created this pressure cooker time for moms, how the invisible load keeps us from rediscovering ourselves and our identity, and the challenges we face on the journey of rediscovering ourselves and the role that our workplace plays in the equation. And of course, Eve walks us through where to even start when trying to think about and find our unicorn space. This was such a great chat. Let's hear this week's episode with Eve Rodsky. We all envision ourselves as the perfect mom, nurturing, happy, and loving all the time. When reality hits and we find ourselves frustrated, resentful, and full of rage, that can lead us into a full-on shame spiral. The truth is, you don't have to be perfectly peaceful all the time to be a good mom, but we can help you understand and handle your rage and repair after the hard moments. Dr. Ashri Nareem, Psyched Mummy, and I have helped thousands of parents get to the root of their anger. As moms ourselves, we understand how the rage monster sneaks up in frustrating moments. As therapists, we also understand the tools and strategies you can use to prepare and prevent that from happening. That's why we set out to create All the Rage, raising kids with less anger and more connection. A course to give you everything you need to know about how to keep calm as a parent in the most difficult situations. When we say everything, we mean everything, from understanding what makes you more prone to anger how your thoughts influence your anger, ways to stop the outbursts before they happen, as well as what to do in the most triggering moments and how to prepare when you lose your cool. This course is made to be digestible and simple. We even include a downloadable workbook to help you work your way through it. We're confident that this course will change your life. So confident that we want you to buy it risk-free, meaning if you don't love it, you can get your money back. Nobody is perfect, but we want you to be the parent you want to be. Visit momwell.com slash rage to learn more. That's momwell.com slash rage. Welcome to the Momwell podcast, where we're committed to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host, registered psychotherapist and founder of Momwell, Erica Jossa. At MomWell, we know that motherhood is hard, but care shouldn't be. We're committed to providing you with knowledge, tools, and support to navigate the challenges of motherhood. Our mission is to put moms back on the priority list and empower them to create a mental wellness toolbox free from judgment, fear, and shame. 
On the show, we'll be discussing topics such as postpartum depression, identity loss, the mental load of motherhood, and more. We'll be joined by experts, moms, and professionals who can offer advice, practical tips, relatable stories, and honest conversations. Here at MomWall, we believe that when a mom is well, a baby is well. So join us as we discuss the topics that matter to you with experts who get it. Together, we can redefine motherhood and change the way moms are treated. Eve, thank you so much for coming back and joining us again. I swear I book these with you just so we can have an excuse to catch up (laughs) because we live such busy lives, the two of us. But thank you. Thank you for joining us again. Of course. I was so happy to come back for the sequel which everybody sort of laughs at and doesn't really understand why creativity is a sequel to the gender division of labor, but we'll get into that. I see it. I see the journey. And I think that maybe we can start there a little bit first, because we had you on, I think it was actually around the time you were doing press for Unicorn Space, but we went over Fair Play, which has been, you know, New York Times bestselling, just smash of a book. And we hear from our community all the time, They use the cards, they use the system and find it incredibly helpful. And let's just like step back a moment and talk about what like really the goal of fair play is and what it's trying to address. And then we'll talk about how that bridges into unicorn space. It's a great question. So Erica, the concept of unicorn space actually came up in fair play. There are two chapters that are devoted to this concept. And what the concept really was was that there should be mythical and magical space for women, Mm. like a unicorn, but that it doesn't exist, especially, um, and I was calling this out, you know, before the pandemic, this was in writing in 2016, when people thought that women were on a trajectory upwards, that we had it all, we had nothing to complain about, aka that's what I heard from many book agents who didn't want fair play. But Mm. what I was noticing even before the pandemic was that we were one burnout crisis away from not only losing 30 to 40 years of women's labor force participation, but there was this profound identity crisis, even from type A women, uh, career women. And it was just the consistent theme that I was seeing in 17 countries from my research in fair play, that women were reporting that they did not believe that they had a permission to be unavailable from their roles. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it was so shocking to me to hear the most powerful women in some countries, even leaders, heads of state, saying to me that they felt that they were allowed to be parents, they were allowed to be partners, I'm talking about women, Mm -hmm. and that they were allowed to be professionals parents, partners, professionals on repeat, but this idea that they may want to be an amateur gymnast or go back to try trapeze or write a poetry book, even if they're a doctor, like that all felt like a fantasy to them. Hmm. And so as one woman said to me, uh, she felt like she was losing her permission to be interested and interesting. And so that theme kept coming up in the fair play research and it was alarming to me. And so ultimately, It was so alarming and so consistent across socioeconomic status in the United States, especially, but also pretty profound in Canada and also even the Nordic countries, but especially South America, Brazil was feeling this, Argentina, Japan, Hong Kong. So it it felt alarming that every woman I spoke to 
in ultimately 17 countries was feeling this lack of permission to be unavailable from their roles. Mm-hmm. We're doing some back-to-work resources right now and many courses that we're building out. And in preparing those and doing the research for them, I came across a statistic that I think it was 45% of women worked out of the home 50 years ago, and now it's like over 75 to 78%. And yet women are carrying the majority of the household and child-rearing labor still. So we have this full-time role that we were expected to do in the home and expected to carry. And now that we take on full-time work out of the home still, there has been no recalibration of this labor. It is still defaulted to primarily mom for a slew of reasons, gender norms and societal expectations and all the things, right? And I'm just like, Staring at this like data so objectively thinking, how in the heck did we get here? Like how, like if I am bringing people into my company or I'm like talking about roles and thinking about it sort of more objectively, I would never expect somebody to do two full-time roles (laughs) and just make space for it. Like, is it any wonder that, you know, we're burning out and and facing this sort of like crisis, as you mentioned, and then the pandemic hit on top of that, which just really uh, highlighted the maternal mental health challenges that we've all been facing. Absolutely. It's almost laughable, Erica. And I think that's why you and I love each other, because we've devoted our lives to this conundrum. The fact that women shoulder two-thirds or more of what it takes to run a home and family, regardless of whether we work outside the home, and the trends are just getting worse. Mm -hmm. The more women earn, the more mental load they're taking on. And so it's never been a problem of money, which you and I have known. Mm. But I think a lot of people who are watching this issue thought, oh, well, as women enter the workforce, things will naturally evenly um, play out at the home. That, That has never happened. And that's because this is ultimately a crisis of gender and gender assumptions. Mm -hmm. It's never been a crisis of money. And so when you're set in gender assumptions and when 63% of Americans believe one parent should be home, aka a woman should be Mm -hmm. in the home, I think this is more of a societal issue that we sort of revere the leave it to beaver decade. Mm. This idea that there is somebody off screen doing all the work, um, we revere that. And in America, like I said, the Pew research is showing that Americans still sort of want that ideal, but that has profoundly changed Mm -hmm. in reality. And so when you're fighting culture and reality, we call that the Overton window. Right? How do you push the Overton window to sort of change culture? And that's, I think, what you and I are doing. We're, We're acknowledging that women, individual women, have agency in their own lives to make their own change, Mm -hmm. but also not to blame those women and to say to you all out there that this has nothing to do with you. This is not your fault. Yeah. Yeah. Like we didn't choose this for ourselves and nor did our partners choose this for us. And I like to make that distinction for people because I think that a lot of our frustration and resentment and blame can be pointed at our partner when really, like you said, these gender assumptions and norms are really you know, a lot of the cause and sort of these other systemic things at play. But yeah, it's ultimately neither one of our fault, but we can put in motion the solution, right? And then enter fair play being one of those solutions and the card decks and the system that it walks people through and how to 
redistribute some of this in a more equitable, but also just fair way, a way that feels fair. And it really dawned on me yesterday, I was actually recording one of our back to work courses. And as I was going through it, I was like, really, the mind shift here is that we're going to enter any caregiving or household task, not assuming one person is responsible. Like, it's just like, we're both going (laughs) to just enter this task thinking, hmm, we have to find the division of responsibility here because it can't be just assumed that it's one person's role. And like, it's such a little concept when you just put it in simple terms, but we have such a system operating in the background that we just default to like, oh, I should be the one to plan, pick up and drop off in daycare and like all the things we just fall into it so subconsciously. Absolutely. Well, I think Fair Play is really exactly that. It's a book that explains why the home should be treated as your most important organization. Mm-hmm. That everything good happens when you have three things. And that secret formula that Fair Play really is about is exactly that. It's dismantling uh, assumptions in favor of three things. Boundaries, which means that you know you and your partner both believe each other's time is diamonds and that you deserve time choice over how you use your day. Mm-hmm. And if you each deserve time choice over how you use your day, then you and your partner are going to have to figure out how to pick up domestic tasks and not fall on one person. It is systems, as you just beautifully explained, this idea that fair play is a card game um, within a book, but it's also a separate deck if you want uh, to see the visual. But it's really, it's a a system uh, that functions on a hundred cards. It's not a list. We've been making lists for years. It's not asking for help. Mm -hmm. It's really looking at these hundred tasks and saying, this is what we need to take ownership of the home and what do you want to take ownership of and what will I take ownership of? And the beauty of a card deck is you can always redeal. And so a lot of people are always redealing, right? This week was a lighter week for me because I've been on the road forever. And so I am picking up a lot more cards for my partner, Seth, and he had been holding a lot of cards for me in March and April. And so you redeal. Mm -hmm. And then the last piece of the secret formula is communication. Boundaries, systems and communication that's the practice. That's the fair play lifestyle. And really, you should be practicing one of those three at all times. And again, the should is not from a place of guilt. The should is a place of freedom. This idea that when you respect your own time, you believe you deserve to be unavailable from your roles when you set up systems so you're not, as one man said, he said, fair play, let him not be in the situation, Erica, where he's waiting to decide, and I've said this to you before, who's taking the dog out right when it's about to take a piss on the rug. Mm. You want to be making those decisions in advance so you're not always making the same decision over and over again. That's Albert Einstein's definition of stupidity. And then finally, communication as a practice where you're having consistent conversations where your emotions are low, your cognition is high, much easier said than done. But really the hardest one, I mean, you can, you know me, so you know the, the one I started with because I'm a lawyer and uh, a systems organizer uh, for families that look like the HBO show Succession. Systems are the easiest. Mm-hmm. It's the boundaries and communication that's really hard. And so that's what Unicorn Space really dealt with. It was the fact that I, I will hand you the system, mm-hmm. but if you don't believe that you deserve to get time back, mm-hmm. then what's mm-hmm. the point of even doing fair play? So that's why the secret formula of boundary systems and communication 
easiest to start with systems in terms of understanding, because once you get that, it clicks, as you said, it's just about moving from assumption to structured decision-making, mm-hmm. but the boundaries and the communication make it so hard. And that's why this book about creativity or having a life outside your roles had to be the sequel mm-hmm. because of how hard it is for women to claim those boundaries and ask for what they need. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists, with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash momwell. ZocDoc.com slash momwell. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code MOMWELL50 to get 50% off your first box. As we start to challenge these assumptions and reclaim some of our time back and have, like, I say leisure, but that sounds so, like, out of anything that we know (laughs) in motherhood, right? but claim back some of this time for ourselves, then it's almost like, what do I do with that time? Or, you know, I don't even know who I am anymore to fill that space with. So we're left with this sort of chamber of like, well, then I just repick up what I know. Because if I don't have a passion, if I don't have something meaningful or something to pour myself into outside of motherhood, and I haven't taken the time to discover that, you know, I'm putting these systems in place and I'm working with my partner to challenge these assumptions to free up some space. Then I feel uncomfortable. I don't even know what to do with that space, right? 
That's exactly what was happening where in my beta testing over years, you know, women were feeling the lightening of the load, but it was coming up with very uncomfortable feelings, Erica. Mm. And that's also because, you know, it was before MomWell, it was before podcasts. This is, you know, this research started in 2012. So we didn't have even iPads. We, that was the year of the first iPad. So um, very different landscape. Mm-hmm. but not knowing that it was okay to not know what they wanted to do. And so I think the problem with the narrative of recapturing your identity is that in our generation, Gen X and late millennials, we got too far down this road of uh, sort of this intensive parenting, mm-hmm. this world. And, and and I will say that for myself as well, because fair play was really the realization that Seth, in my relationship was falling apart over the division of labor in our home and the assumptions based on gender. That's the fair play story. Mm-hmm. And then it was also the story of my workplace assumptions that they would give my direct reports to a man because they wanted to make my job easier because I was a mother now, right? Feeling abandoned from my workplace, feeling abandoned by my partner. That was really the fair play story. Mm-hmm. But really the the unicorn space story was that I was told by so many people, Erica, because the U.S. doesn't have any social safety nets like universal childcare or paid leave, that life was going to be really hard for me to cobble together childcare in the beginning of my kids' lives. Mm. But once they entered school, oh my God, Eve, you know, you'll have a second phase of your life. Everything will be okay then. You're going to have a community of people that can carpool with you, that will pick up your kids, that will help. And so, Erica, what I remember was being so eager to enter a school community and then finally entering that school community on one of Zach, that's my oldest son's first preschool days. And we go to this, you know, intro preschool day after I'd listened to all these people in my ear saying, this is when you're going to finally get your freedom. Hmm. And sitting around and hearing the preschool teacher tell me that all these people around me look around, you know, Eve, these are going to be the people who know you better than anyone's ever known you. And then looking at my name tag and seeing that the name tag said Zach's mom Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. realizing that these are the people that are going to know me better than anyone's ever known me, Erica. They don't even know my fucking name. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I think it was the fact that it wasn't just overwhelm that was really triggering me, which was, again, the fair play story. It was overwhelm and erasure. Like the grief. Having like, where did I go? Where did I go? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So overwhelm would be okay if I had a robust identity because I'm used to overwhelm. You know, yeah, I've done two bars. Uh, you know, I've, I've taken the New York bar and the California bar. I've done overwhelm, but that was for myself. Mm-hmm. And I knew by the end of taking both of those bars, I was going to say to myself, I can't believe I just did that. And I was going to grow as a person. Mm-hmm. The problem with having overwhelm plus the erasure of you is that you don't get those, I can't believe I just did that moments. Yeah, You get just complete and total, you are in service of your roles mm-hmm. as Zach's mom, as Seth's wife, mm-hmm. um, as Terry's daughter, that's my mother who needs a lot of help, as Josh's sister, because my brother is disabled. Mm-hmm. And that realization is profoundly painful. Right. Almost more painful than the abandonment at work and the abandonment by Seth. It was the abandonment by society this dream of society, this mandate to make me invisible, that was so painful. And that's really where Unicorn Space was born. What does it take? This book is about what it takes to push back, Mm -hmm. to reclaim yourself again, 
not a how to be happy book. Let me just make that very clear. Mm-hmm. That hijacked, I think, our self-help narrative for the past 10 years. This is 100% not a how to be happy book, but this is really more about what happens when society wants to make you invisible and how do you reclaim your identity? Well, my book might step into that, How to Yay. Find Joy Space. So there good, we go. We'll good. compliment each other. Yes. But yeah, I totally hear you. It reminds me of a quote that I heard in Dr. Sophie Brock's motherhood certificate. And I can't remember the author that it was attributed to, but something to the effect that we've really been freed as women to like rally and go and do the bar and do these things. But then in motherhood, we are constrained and nothing has really shifted so we bump up against this conflicting messaging then when we enter into motherhood where now we have to be small and we have to shrink away and we have to give away everything of ourselves when we were just, you just wrote the bar two times and did all these things and had, you know, just the like tenacity to go after the things that you wanted. So it is a really like juxtaposing messaging that we feel, but then yet you still exist in your career. You still exist in your workplace. So you might still be getting messaging. Although we do know that once we enter those more childbearing years, that the messaging does start to shift for women in the workplace, whether you have children or not. But it is like something that became, I don't know, it came as such a blindside to me because so many of the messages about reclaiming sort of some of those freedoms and going after what you want as women were opening up and these doors were opening. And then I I hit motherhood like like a ton of bricks. Like yes. it was not something that I could have seen to like, I say stop the growth, but that's not maybe accurate. I've grown in a lot of ways more internally and depth wise versus like academically and outward facing. But I don't know, just felt like an absolute wall in the journey. Absolutely. And and by the way, joy is important. And let me explain that distinction and why we need that message too. I think the distinction was, I was watching women tell me that they were gratitude journaling themselves to death. Mm, I see. Like toxic positivity. Toxic positivity. I was hearing from women, well, I've changed my mindset. I don't say I have to pick up my kid from school. I get to say I get to pick up my kid from school. Yes. I'm like, no, you have to. You fucking have to pick up your kid from school. You don't get to pick up yours. That's that's not a place where you find that. It's joy. not a real choice. Yeah, exactly. It's not a real choice. What are you talking about, right? So yeah. there was this toxic positivity that I think was sort of hijacked, even from the happiness experts who I love, mm. and the positive psychology movement was trying to do good things, but it sort of got hijacked. And so I think the distinction I want to make here that was really probably one of the most important insights I learned from writing Unicorn Space, the second book was, and my kids have really benefited from this. You know, I used to fall into that trap too of just saying to my kids, I just want you to be happy, right? I just want you to be happy and fulfilled with your life. And now what I, my my kids get so annoyed with me, but they're like, I know mom, you don't want me to be happy. I know you don't want me to be happy. I know you want me to have the appropriate emotion yeah. at the appropriate time and the ability and strength to weather it. Mm-hmm, now, mm-hmm. when you realize that that's the true definition of mental health, to have the appropriate emotion at the appropriate time and the ability and strength to weather it, you know where joy sits. Right. Joy sits as the ability and strength to weather it. And that's what you get from unicorn space. That's what you get from joy. That's what you get from fun. Yeah. We will have the appropriate emotion, which a lot of it will be sadness and rage and overwhelm and boredom and all the things we just talked about. Those are appropriate emotions for motherhood yeah. and the society doesn't support us. But when you have the appropriate emotion at the appropriate time, if you don't have the ability and strength to weather it, mm-hmm. that's where your mental health falters. And so mm-hmm. the beauty of what I found in this book was that when you have unicorn space, active pursuits, 
not hedonic well-being. So unicorn space is not commodified wellness. It's not even self-care. The gym is important. You know, getting a manicure is important. You know, taking a, a walk with a friend or a drink with a friend is important. But what we're talking about here is if you want the mental health aspects, the appropriate emotion, the appropriate time, but the ability and strength to weather it, the ability and strength to weather it comes from what we call eudaimonic pursuits. And that's really what a unicorn space is. A unicorn space is an active pursuit where you find joy. Joy and happiness are clues because you're pursuing your curiosities, Mm -hmm. connections with others, where you're sharing yourself with the world, and completion. So I'll give an example, Eric, of your podcast. Whether you told me you made a million dollars from it or a dollar from it, it is a unicorn space Mm -hmm. for you. And and Mm -hmm. again, you'll need more because you burn out when you do something you love. So be more greedy and get more unicorn space. But I'll explain that it has the components of what we're talking about here. It has curiosity where Erica says, I wonder what this person, I read their book or their article, I wonder what they would say that would complement my messages. You have Mm. to research them, you have to reach out. That I wonder is based on Erica's values. Then she actually connects with the other person, right? So in this space, you commune with others, you have an experience, you learn something, and then you do the hard thing. You complete it. Mm-hmm. You upload this episode, regardless of you, the way you didn't like the way you sounded or the way I, you know, frame something. You actually edit it. Thanks. Shout out to Jenna out there and everyone mm-hmm. who helps do that. But mm-hmm. you edit it and you get it up in the world and you share it. Mm-hmm. That curiosity, connection, completion is hard, Erica. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that's what it takes. I can't tell you it's a, to fake a commute or to read a book. It's to write the book. It's not to eat the pie. It's to bake that pie. It's not to listen to a podcast. It's to create a podcast. Mm. And that's the eudaimonic dopamine. It leads to endorphins, dopamine, all these chemicals that we sort of need to weather those hard times comes from these bursts of active pursuits where ultimately we're saying to ourselves, I can't believe I just did that. Mm -hmm. That joy in ourselves is why our messages are extremely complimentary. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Mom rage often leads us to feeling ashamed, but the truth is that our rage doesn't mean we're bad moms. In fact, anger is a sign from our bodies that our needs aren't being met. As moms and therapists, Dr. Asherine Areem's Psyched Mommy and I understand mom rage. We know that we all lose our cool sometimes, 
And we also know that with the right tools and strategies in place, those moments happen less often. We've teamed up and combined our years of experience to create All The Rage, raising kids with less anger and more connection, a course designed to be your go-to resource for preventing and handling your anger. We dive into what causes your anger, how it impacts your body, how to reframe your thinking, and how to stay calm in triggering moments. And because we are all human, we also include strategies for repairing after we inevitably lose our cool. In honor of Maternal Mental Health Week, you can save $20 on the course with promo RAGE20 this week only. Don't miss out on your chance to save and make a positive change. Head to momwell.com slash rage and save with code RAGE20. That's momwell.com slash rage, code RAGE20. And it's interesting because it feels equal parts hard. Like there was such a learning curve in starting a podcast. So difficult, but challenging, but rewarding. And then also somewhat gluttonous in the fact that this is nothing to do with my day-to-day mothering. It's all (laughs) for like, I mean, it's about motherhood. So there's that. But it's like fully for my like growth and enjoyment and indulging of my own curiosities, as you said. So there is a piece of it that is challenging and hard and rewarding. Also feels sort of rich and gluttonous and just like a something to myself that I love. And I think that the permissions that you go through in unicorn space really help with this because it in that like gluttony of just like spending this time on myself, the mom guilt just like comes in full force for a lot of people. And I've had to practice carving this space out for myself. And so I don't feel guilty about it anymore. But I'm sure that there were times initially when I did, right? So Maybe we can walk through a couple of the permissions that we need to give ourselves to really lean into carving the space out. Absolutely. So one of the exercises I did, and we can play it um, a little bit later, Erica, was to first survey people about what their unicorn space would be. And once I had about 50 activities or, or things that people told me that they love to do that brings them curiosity, connection, completion... I start to ask these, especially women, but then ultimately men, non-binary individuals, what were your hurdles to doing these activities? Even now that you know that creativity is not optional, that you know it's your key to your mental health. So number one is what we said earlier. It was resoundingly this idea that availability has become part of a mother, especially a mother's identity. Mm -hmm. And um, we did a fun exercise where starting in 2012, I would have women close their eyes and picture their school calling and not picking up the phone. Mm. And women were telling me they were getting a stress response just even in the exercise, right? That their heart started to pound or their breathing started to get more labored. So it was interesting, even the visualization of that made women highly distressed. And so this idea that availability at any time, keeping your phone on, making sure you're there, you're hypervigilant, that's a very, very hard state to live in because it's the opposite of a flow state, mm-hmm. which is very tied to these pursuits that we're talking about, very important for our mental health. And so that was number one. Yeah, that's the always being on. Always being on. You were talking in the book about how you were carving out space to write your book <laughs> and the yes. amount of times like knocked on the door or even though you set the boundary like, I'm going to be unavailable during this time, they knew that you were in proximity and would knock. And this 
being interrupted, although there's been a big conversation in the community this week as we've been talking about overstimulation and being interrupted and not having any sort of consistent even span of thought without mommy, mommy and things like that. Like even just being able to pause and delay our child's gratification and not respond right away or to put up these boundaries, even just within our home and practicing like in small pieces. Because like when I get the call home from school, I tell a story often where I was about to speak at an event. I was on a panel. I don't know. There's like about 1,500 people attending virtually. And I'm in the green room. I'm about to go on in like 10 minutes. And I get a call from my son's school that they think he's broken his arm and he needs to go for (laughs) x-ray. And I'm just like, okay, you know, all the guilt of like, oh, but he needs me and I need to go and I have to be there. And oh, is he going to think that like, you know, mommy didn't care if I don't go. My husband was home. He had the flexibility in his schedule. He was perfectly able to go and I would be able to follow through on the commitment that I made. Right. And so I had to like use every skill, pull out every stop to talk my way through that situation to say, you know what? It's, he'll be okay. I'll finish this event. I'll meet them over there. It will be fine. And I did. And I'm sure maybe a lot of people would have opinions about that and maybe no, they would or no, wouldn't. No, they, they can't. That is exactly what you should have done at that Do moment. Do you know what I mean? But it took, I want to say practicing this in a lot of like micro areas first to be able to flex that muscle to say, even in a you know, semi-emergency. I know he was okay. I spoke to him on the phone. I heard his voice. Like, it's not crisis, crisis. Like, we're okay. You have a perfectly caring, loving parent who is on their way to pick you up. And I'm just going to finish this thing and I'll be right there. And so that permission to be unavailable, like it goes deep. Like that's a deep, deep seated, you know, thing that we carry with us. It's a hard one to unlearn. But I think if we start with little things, even at home, like sorry, mommy is just in a conversation. We're not going to interrupt right now. Or like like little boundaries in little areas for us can, can help. Well, what I love about what you just said is you just spilled right into the second one, which I think is the hardest. And this was actually the one men identified. And this is the idea that even if I did have availability, which is what you did, you had carved out that availability for that panel, guilt and shame will ruin it for me. Hmm. It may not be as drastic as actually getting the call that something is wrong with your child during it, but it's how do you not have your unicorn space ruined by guilt and shame? And I remember one mother in particular, she's a single mother, and she was reaching out after Fair Play, actually, hearing the concept of unicorn space and reading about it. So it was a little while ago, but she, as a single mother, and she was reporting to me on Facebook that she lives in a rent-stabilized apartment building in New York City where Juilliard students also have apartments and there's a music room and she loves to play piano. That's her unicorn space. And she used to, you know, play concerts, she was saying, you know, and recitals. And so this idea of, you know, maybe doing another recital again, sharing with the world. So she was really getting into the concept. She got sheet music. uh, I think she said rent or um, something else that I love. I can't remember what it was, but Mm. so she's about to practice. And she starts to notice outside the music room window that it's getting dark. It's early in New York. It's winter. It gets dark, you know, like 2 p.m. (laughs) in Canada. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so she started to get really agitated that her son doesn't like to be in daycare when it's dark out. And so she told me that she started to practice, but it didn't feel fun to her. It felt really indulgent, as you said, and gluttonous. And she was angry at herself for booking this room and for putting her son in extended daycare. And so she left. 
Mm-hmm. She left the music there, uh, the sheet music there. And I think about her a lot because what was so interesting about guilt and shame since 2012, really understanding those two emotions alongside with other emotions, was that women were telling me that, yes, they felt mad. Yes, they felt angry. But guilt and shame were actually the only two emotions consistently that I heard where people change their behavior in the moment, Erica. Mm, shut right down. So I want to just tell you, you didn't. Mm-hmm. But you, what you could have done is exactly that in your example. Guilt and shame come over you. I am not there for my child, even though, again, he's safe, all those other factors. Mm-hmm. I'm not there for him. He's going to remember this. My family's more important. You could have justified the guilt and shame interrupting your thoughts, your rational thoughts, and just leaving and saying, sorry, I can't stay at this panel. Mm -hmm. You didn't. The most important thing about guilt and shame to understand, if you know that it will help you make bad short-term decisions that are not in the interest of you long-term, then you will sit with that guilt and shame. Mm. Say, do I want to change my behavior right now? What will happen if I don't change my behavior right now? What happens if I practice two songs and still don't finish my full hour that I booked in the music room, but I feel good because I got through, you know, one Rent song and maybe one Les Mis song, you know, one One Day More, uh, one Seasons of Love or whatever. So as you said, there are these baby steps you can take, but I think it's very important to recognize guilt and shame, at least in my research, and that is thousands and thousands and thousands of people now across 17 countries, were the emotions that people were making short-term decisions in the moment that they were telling me they regretted long-term. You would have regretted leaving that panel. Yeah. Yep, that's the thing. When I hear about, okay, if I listen to the guilt and shame and I shut down and I go, the regret of what could have been or the regret of like if I had shown up. And this is where I think Unicorn Space is such a great, you know, branch off from fair play because we're freeing up the space with fair play, you know, to then step in and actually show up. And like how rarely do we get to do that or prioritize ourselves. And the fact that maybe we could leave a word here with like, this is not optional, right? This is essential in terms of well-being and in terms of not burning out and in terms of finding joy in our mothering role because we still feel like we've retained ourself at the same time. Absolutely. Well, I think that's the key, what you just said. Finding joy in our mothering role because we've been able to maintain who we are as human beings. And look, the oxygen mask metaphor has been way overused for commodified wellness, for commercials, but it is this idea that you can't pour from that empty cup and you can't deplete yourself. But the thing is that ultimately, because we do it around communities that are also doing it and sort of this performative martyrdom Mm. in many cases, the third thing, so there's three, right, that we said. So number one was the unavailability. Number two, the most common was guilt and shame will ruin my unicorn space. And actually men, like I said, they were the ones who said that this one was a very big deal for them. Not that their guilt and shame over their kids ruined their unicorn space, but that their unicorn space that they would possibly do with their families. Like one man said that finding old castles is like totally his unicorn space, like foraging for things. Mm. And he had a trip to Scotland that he canceled. He missed with his kids. And he started to cry to me at this workshop, Erica. It was so sad mm. because his boss needed him there. He's a COO and he felt like he was in line for the CEO position. 
And if he didn't show up, he was being tested. He probably wouldn't be the person to get the CEO role. Yeah. And the guilt and shame he felt about canceling with his kids in Scotland. Mm. So it goes the other way for men because the breadwinning thing, I think, is is such a, you know, toxic masculinity um, box. Yeah. Yeah. The pressures they face. The pressures. Yeah. Exactly. Different than ours. Mm -hmm. They are. But and then the third one, the the third runner up. Yeah. Was, as you said, for the permission. So you have to have permission to be unavailable, permission to burn down this guilt and shame. But the third is that women especially were saying they do not know how to ask for what they need, Mm. especially women without kids. They don't know how to ask for what they need with their workplace. They can't say I have to go get my kid from school. They can't say I want to go to my baking class at 4.30 at Sir Latab today. So this shame of asking for what we need from our employer, from our partners, Mm -hmm. that was the third. So we have to have a permission to be unavailable, a permission to vanquish guilt and shame as we were talking about, and a permission to ask for what we need. These are all practices that are lifelong practices, especially for women who've been told we don't have these things. That's why you have a mom well community. Mm-hmm. Your community and your coursing, women will learn to ask for what they need to yeah. vanquish guilt and shame. But again, but that's why we need these practices. That's why we need your communities. Because otherwise, it's very hard to do on our own. It's a lifetime of unlearning, yes. right? Like I didn't even know what gender norms and assumptions were until like my <laughs> early to mid 30s. Same. You're talking ingrained patterns for you know, years upon years. And so I think that it's interesting, the manuscript that I just, the revised version that has just been submitted and is off my plate now, I think really complements your work in that if you have a hard time implementing the fair play strategies, or you really just can't shake the guilt in your unicorn space, it meets you in those stuck places to really dig like to core beliefs type work in a really like accessible, let me take you on this guided journey kind of a way. Amazing. So that we don't feel like, oh, we're trying and we're failing, but we realize all the other pieces that are at play and, you know, the tools and the practices needed to play this out sometimes. But yeah, we're talking years upon years of unlearning. And so it takes time. So I like, I want to keep you here all day long, but I also kind of, Kind of selfishly, I also want us to wrap up so we can chit chat and have coffee. Yes, yes. Well, I, uh, let, 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 yeah, let's maybe we can do one exercise that yes, sort of brings unicorn it. space to life, please. And then we can spend, you know, some time just saying hi to each other. Okay. This is what I want to do. It's really for your listeners, but let's do it. Erica, you're going to be their proxy. Okay. Since it's a podcast, you're not going to see these. So, what I'll do is I'll read them. What we're going to do is we're going to read 50 choices. This is that survey I told you I did of women's unicorn space choices. Oh, these were like the common ones that came up for people. Exactly. These were the common ones. And so there's a very good array. So Erica, what I want from you, not the podcast, which we talked about was a unicorn space, but it's tied to your work, not the work we're tied to your book, which will be amazing, but also, um, you know, hard, difficult. Mm-hmm. I want you to pick a card that's just popping out, as you said, with those values of joy, fun, whatever, or just something that's interesting to you right now. And I'm going to ask your listeners to play along with us. So okay. I'm, I'm going to read you 50 choices. And then I'm going to show how a small step of doing this exercise can really start you on a fun journey to start thinking about what your unicorn space could be. Mm, I love this. And it could always change. Yeah. So I'm going to give you 50 choices. And then, uh, so don't yell out. 
Wait till you hear all 50. Okay. I'll make note here to myself. Exactly. And the goal is even if you may have more than one, which is so exciting, and then you can explore that later on. But this exercise is particularly geared on you picking one, the one that just pops out to you for whatever reason. I'm like here for it. I'm ready. I'm excited. Okay. Baking, cooking, building and DIY, arrows and axes. That's like archery, throwing axes, florals, uh, music. That's like playing, composing, DJing, pottery, metallurgy. That's like jewelry making, woodworking, photography, gardening slash farming, restoration and renovation. That's like cars, homes, antiques, beauty. That's styling, makeup, uh, all that stuff. Stitching and needles, art, arts and crafts, storytelling, water sports, travel and culture, outdoors, Memories and archiving, sports with wheels, rhetoric, that's like speech and debate, politics, racing, cars, hordes, boats, circus, theater and production, snow sports, sports with balls, triathlon, running, martial arts, dance, animals, performing, design, health and wellness, language and anthropology, event planning, Finding, collecting, and foraging. That was like that man in Scotland. Fashion, writing, teaching, design, math and sciences, research and learning, games, like escape room, puzzles, video games, spiritual wellness, like religion, yoga, retreats, genealogy and lineage. That's like studying, recording, mapping, lineage, or otherworldly pursuits like tarot, astrology, and or magic. Hmm. Okay, I have four that stood out and I'll have to decide the one. Yes, you have to pick one for this exercise. So I put photography, art, travel and culture and memories. And I think the travel and culture really relates to like family and family values. And I think that the photography and art is really one of those unicorn spaces that hasn't made it into my work entirely. Like it's like one of those things that hasn't been turned into work. So probably photography, I would say, is top Ooh, of the list. All right. I yeah. Love it. Okay. So the question that your audience should be asking themselves, you can grab a journal, moleskin, a pad. But number one, you asked, and you did a beautiful job a little bit, but I'll ask you to illuminate a little bit more. Why? Mm-hmm. Tell me why you picked photography. So there's just two questions you're going to ask yourself. So that's question one for your audience. But Erica will model the answer. So tell me why you picked it. Yeah. Well, I'm drawn to it. It's a hobby that I picked up unrelated to performance. Like it's not been, you know, picked up in any kind of work where like I'm obligated to do it. And when I think about play or when I think about fun, taking my camera and having it there is like top of the list. And it's not something that I choose because of my family or my family values or my children. It's like a personal, just, you know, sincere like enjoyment and and like of mine. Oh, well, you're, I love you because you just did an alliteration and I'm obsessed with alliterations, but you basically said presence. Like there's a presence of capturing things, there's play and it's a personal pursuit. So I sort of really Mm -hmm. love those. So then the next exercise you'll do, do you have the book in front of you by any chance? I do, I have it. Okay, Mm -hmm. great. So this is a place where your readers won't have it possibly, or maybe they will have the book. But if you do, it's on page 144. It's a values checklist. Mm-hmm. But even if you don't have it, you can start thinking about your values. So I want you to be in a place of travel and culture, because that was something that informed this, 
a beautiful like landscape or a flower or something super unique, a couple getting engaged on the beaches of Ibiza, somewhere where you, you know, where you're taking some pictures for fun, for Mm -hmm. personal reasons for play. And I want you to see like a perfect picture in your camera or it's on your wall from that trip. Like, I want to see if you can pick from this values checklist, five things that come up for you. Hmm. I think for sure it takes the creativity value. Okay. Your, you know, for sure. Mm-hmm. Creativity. That's one. I need five. I think there is a mastery component because I do love to reiterate and improve on a skill. So that's that's something that I love. Love it. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see here. What else have we got? For sure, I think there is some kind of family component here, and maybe there's another word on the list for it, but I am most in my like zone when we were in Costa Rica in March and I had my camera and we were at some, I don't know, sloth sanctuary. And I just got to like take (laughs) pictures of the kids in like all their joy. So that's pairing something that I loved with just seeing the joy of my children. So there is like a family or memory component to it that I do really love. I love that. Okay. Memory, family. Okay. We'll keep that. And then let's see, let's pick one other one. Mm, I think also adventure ties into this because if it's worth capturing, I do think there's likely adventure tied to it. Okay, so I love that because I know, Eric, if I asked your listeners, what are their values? I know this because I've done this now for 10 years. If I just ask that out loud, our values inform our curiosities. That's the whole point of this. That's why this is important for this unicorn space journey. I would hear from people, friendship, family, right? I hear the same. Not that that's not important. Right. Um, I love your values that you'll tell me, but that's not what I'm looking for. What I'm looking for are values-based curiosities. And often you can back into them through this exercise. So if Mm -hmm. you do this, I don't really care so much about the photography. That's the point. I mean, I'm so happy and I'd love to see your pictures, Erica. But what I as an accountability partner can do for you, because people are 66% more likely to do something, they have an accountability partner is I can ask you every week, did you get a chance to feel creative this week, Erica? Mm -hmm. Did you get a chance to feel mastery this week? Mm -hmm. Did you get a chance to feel like you were capturing family memories this week? Did you get a chance to feel adventurous this week? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's my gift back to you, that at least once a week, you should have something on this list where you said, okay, this week, I didn't have all four of my values met. Mm-hmm. But I did feel creative this week. I really did. You know, in my edits of my book, I felt super creative because I changed around a quiz that I wanted people to do and it just clicked for me. Or, you know, mastery this week was you deep dived into positive psychology or like you said, your pain points. Mm-hmm. Or adventure this week was because, you know, you went alone to somewhere and you got to, you know, hike and you've, you haven't done that in a while and you're afraid you're going to fall, but whatever it is mm-hmm. for right now. And again, you can do this exercise often. You can pick different values you want to focus on, but I'll say for Erica in this phase of life, I want you to just remember, put on a wall or on a post-it that you deserve creativity, mastery, and adventure. I'm going to pick those three things, creativity, mm-hmm. mastery, and adventure. And we'll call it a big Mac because that's what the mastery, adventure, and creativity are. That's the acronym. So you deserve a Big Mac. Mm, now I'll remember. Yes, yes. exactly. <laughs> and and you, you check in with yourself. And that's what yeah. I would love for your listeners to do. That's a great way to start this journey. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's so great. And it really highlights to me because I've been so focused on, let's say, like the mastery and the creation. I've been missing the adventure. So we just launched a new MomWell portal where we're hosting a bunch of things for our therapy clients. And so it's been like head down grind. And so the little bit of adventure that I snuck away with is I I (laughs) scooped the boys up and we went to this duck pond nearby and there were all these baby little ducks there and we took food and we fed them and we just, it was like a simple escape. It wasn't like some grand like climbing and hiking mountains adventure, but it's still just like hit the nail on the head for that need, you know? Yes. Yes. That's that's what I'm asking for. It could be small. Yeah. Even for me, adventure is not one of my values. I'm very like sedentary, but But even for me, it was nice this weekend. My kids and I, we went on a rickshaw throughout San Francisco, got to see all the different piers, Mm. like we with the sea lions. And again, small city adventure on a a family trip for bat mitzvah. But it was just exactly like you said. It just sort of hit that nail on the head for me this Sunday. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for taking us through that. It's so fun. And it really helps us to dive into those priorities because I I think as, as you said, When asked, it's like, well, of course I should value, you know, family and, you know, myself and maybe God and my work or whatever, right? Like we sort of not intentionally like are performative, but we don't always really know. So coming through it via that exercise really helps to make it clear for people. So those of you who are listening, who got to go through that, I'm so curious to know what you came to send DMs, like, you know, let us know how this was. And of course, this is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to what Eve has to offer in unicorn space. So I encourage you to go and pick it up and you can find it like anywhere books are sold. Hey, Eve, it's all over the place. Yes. Well, thank you. And of course, just come join us at Fair Play Life on our Instagram and our website. We have a lot of free resources and exercises. If you can't find the book or you can't afford the book, we have lots of stuff for you there. Yeah. And we'll link all of that in the show notes so people can easily click through and find you. Thanks again, Eve, for joining us. It was great to have you here. Congrats, Eric, on all your building. She really turned the tables on me there and had me do a values exercise, much like what I do with clients all the time. But it's such a good reminder for me, and I hope for you listening as well, that it's so important for us to take the time to reflect on and tune into our values so that we can make sure that if there are things that we value in our life that we don't feel we're currently living out, that we can begin to take even small baby steps towards ways that we can live out those values more frequently. I hope that this episode felt empowering and inspiring, that even though motherhood is our most cherished and important role, that you may be able to carve some time out and think about things that are important to you and your passions and your values outside of your all-important role. As always, if you need assistance in doing this or you want to uncover your individual values or maybe you're struggling with carrying the mental load and the invisible load and you feel like you've not really figured out a system or a routine in your home that is working, Book in a free 15-minute consultation with one of our mom therapists who can help you to discuss the invisible load and how to go about redistributing it. Head to momwell.com to learn more. That's momwell.com. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week, where I am being joined by co-founder of the Motherhood Center in New York, reproductive psychiatrist, Dr. Katherine Berndorf, to discuss the adjustment to motherhood. You don't want to miss it. I'll see you right back here next week. 
I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to momwell.com slash learning center. To join the Momwell email list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies, head to momwell.com slash newsletter. Join me next week. Until then, remember that you have to be well to mom well. Settling is not an option. Everything I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? Because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.